Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creators of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and on this episode, I'm joined by Robert Young as we review episodes seven and eight of the Disney animated series, What If? Hi, Robert. Hey, it's great to be back. Thank you. Hi, <laughs> listeners. I took a bit of a hiatus last week because it was my birthday week. So I wasn't <laughs> able to do, I, I took a break from recording uh, episode seven. Last week's episode was the Thor, what if Thor was an only child? So this is going to be a combined uh, combined podcast where we will be doing a quick recap of episode seven and really the bulk or the meat of this uh, podcast recording will be doing a really deep, deep, uh, a deep dive into this week's episode. Um, what if Ultron won? Dude, <laughs> Robert, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Like when, when at the end of episode seven, when I saw that, I was like, Oh, okay. And then when I saw the title of this one, I was like, Oh, so we continuing from there. I was like, okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll start off by, um, we'll start with last week's episode, episode seven, What If Thor Were an Only Child? Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, I, let, let's talk about it. I mean, I feel like actually it's a good thing for us to do seven and eight together because they yeah. kind of tie into each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'll start off. What did you think of last week's episode of, of the Thor-centric episode? I thought it was a needed episode. Mm -hmm. I know everybody, I think most people kind of hated it or were like met or whatever, but right. like they had just been like ramping up and stepping on our neck and stepping on our <laughs> neck harder. And that was just like a nice little break. You know, we got some, just like a nice little fun episode for like 99% of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a nice little break. It kind of reminded me, it felt very Dragon Ball Z-E oh, with the big, okay. the big fight. The big fight between Thor and mm -hmm. uh, Captain Marvel. So, which is kind of fun, you know? Right. You got right. to see all your favorite characters having a party and all of that. <laughs> I don't really think, you know, it got to the, I don't know, deep into the title, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it gave us a little bit of how it would feel if Thor didn't grow up, you know, with Loki, you know, right. in the same palace as him. But mm -hmm. they didn't really go deep into it. It was just kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I'll be honest. Um, it's, not <laughs> to, it's not going to make my top three episodes. Oh, no. Oh, no, now, no, you no. Know, like, in general, I've been loving and I've been really enjoying What If. A couple of episodes, I'm like, eh, okay. Mm -hmm. But I think overall, I mean, I think uh, two podcasts ago, we were at the halfway mark. We were giving our grades. I think you gave it an A. Mm -hmm. I gave it like a B plus, right? Yeah. Um, so this, I agree with you that there were certain things um, that maybe they could have touched on a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll let you kick off. What is the premise of, what is the what if premise of this episode of episode, of last week's episode, episode seven? Uh, did I have, uh, what if Thor were an only child? Mm -hmm. Basically, so... Instead of Odin bringing Loki back home and raising him as his own son, he returned right. Loki to the Frost Giants. So Thor mm -hmm. kind of grew up as an only child. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so he, uh, I mean, it seemed like the gist of 
the difference was that, like it kind of set back Thor's development a lot because he didn't have to deal with Loki as a kid. Wow. So he yeah. just kind of stayed a kid himself. Mm. I, I think what really fascinated me about that episode, again, I mean, I wish there were a little bit more of a deep dive into it, but I was very fascinated by this idea of because the watcher says this too in, in in his opening monologue on how relationships can define who we are mm. as people right like how we grow up and so yeah. like you said the fact that in this in this alternate reality uh you know loki actually grew up with his people he is a frost giant he is from Utenheim. um and so without what was interesting so basically it was like without having loki right because loki was considered the eldest and then they had thor right. um and so this idea of thor not having this older brother that kind of bullied him mm-hmm. <laughs> he did remember in yep. Ragnarok, he, he told that story about how loki turned himself into a snake and bit him and yep. like, who, who does that well i mean like, it was funny but in a way you're just like yo that was a fucked up childhood you know what i mean like, <laughs> It was really the bullying older brother, but in a way, what it did is it it, it toughened Thor up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, and so it, it did kind of make Thor a little bit more serious, right? And right. that's the thing when you're you're the younger el- the younger sibling, um, you're trying to carve out your own space, right? When you're the eldest, you're the you're the special one, you're the you're the oldest one, or whatever. And so, I think yeah, so it was it was interesting to see what Thor life could have, what Thor's life looked like without Loki in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I found really interesting and you and I had discussed this briefly, um, uh, just to give people a quick overview, basically uh, in like Robert said, uh, Thor grows up without Loki. And so in this uh, alternate reality, Thor, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. Odin goes into his Odin sleep. Right. And right. then the mother Frigga is like, oh, I'm off with my sisters. We're going to go have some wine and chill out while Odin, you know, it was kind of funny how they were waiting for him to go to sleep. Like, oh my God. <laughs> um, And then Thor is just, you know, with his, his, his band of, of merry men, it's a uh, lady Sif, Fan, Fandral, and I forget, uh, the Asian guy, I forgot what his name is. Yeah, I can't think um, of his name. Yeah, but his, the original group of, you know, his, his compatriots uh, from the live action movie, they decide to go on a spring break. So Thor is sort of like this very childlike frat boy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So then they decide they're going to go to Midgard at IE earth to party. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, much like the original Thor, Jane Foster, we, we are introduced to Jane and Darcy, um, and they, you know, kind of find the the the, the signatures or whatever, because I think Jane has been following these signatures or whatever. And so Thor comes to Earth, uh, not in the desert, but in Las Vegas, <laughs> which is Party City, USA, right? And I I love how they kind of fooled us, like when they, you know, come through the Bifrost, they're like, "We have come here with all this smoke," and you're like, "Oh no, is this going to be evil Thor?" And he was like, "No, we're here to party." So it's that just was funny. a dope entrance, though. It looks so cool. It really did. And and what was cool was like much like it, it kind of uh, this episode, uh, episode seven also reminded me of episode two with T'Challa's Star-Lord, where we kind of got a look at more of the cosmic 
yeah. characters of the MCU, right? Where we, we see Gamora, but this is not sexy Gamora. Now this Gamora is more like the Gamora that we know that's more cybernetic, right? right? Um, you know, and then uh, it just the people from Sakaar. We've got, uh, at, at, we'll talk about the the, the voice uh, talent really quick. Um, Chris Hemsworth is back as Thor. Natalie mm-hmm. Portman, um, I didn't know this. I, I, I thought it was a different actress, but Natalie Portman actually voices Jane Foster. Tom Hiddleston is back as Loki. My One of my favorite characters at, at the MCU, Cat. Uh, uh, Darcy is back. Kat Dennings is there. So it's really like an all-star of the original of the OG MCU. Jeff Goldblum is back as the Grandmaster. Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. Clark yeah. Gray. Just they pretty much seem to find. Was it Frank Grillo the- was back? And- yeah, it was mm-hmm. just. I think the only person, the only two people, I think, um, with Carol Danvers again, Brie Larson uh, did not voice do any voice work, I think, for season one. Alexandra Daniels is back to voice Carol Danvers, and I think she does a very good job. She um, does, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah. And then um, I think the only other person who isn't the same is the voice of uh, Frigga, uh, Thor's mother, in the live action. It was Renee Russo. Um, here she is voiced by uh, the actress, uh, an actress named Josette Eels, which I think she does a good job, too. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's the setup. So the setup, basically, Thor is on Earth, but he's not here to save the world. He's not here to be a better person. He's here to party and drink and cause... And, and break the Earth. And break the Earth, basically. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I just... Um, but to my point, what what I was saying was uh, what was really fascinating was seeing this dynamic now that Loki was not raised as an... Uh, as guardian, but was actually raised as a frost giant. He was given, you know, he raised, he was raised in Jotunheim. Um, it was really fascinating to see the dynamic, the relationship that Thor and Loki had in this reality. They're actually friends. Yeah. And they almost still feel mm-hmm. like brothers, you know, the whole thing, your brother yes. from another mother, you know, they mm-hmm. still felt very brotherly, even though they weren't technically brothers. Very much so. And and I think that was something, I think the psychology of that really fascinates me because much like, you know, we're looking at the psychology of Thor being an only child, not having Loki as a as an elder sibling to challenge him and to kind of force him to grow up in some ways. Um, what's interesting is on Loki's side is that he's happy. Like this, yeah. is, this is the, he's he looks like a frost giant. He's tall. He's blue. You know what I'm saying? Um, but he seemed, at least to me, this Loki was like the a kinder, a kinder, gentler Yoki Loki. And I think to me that really speaks to what happens when you are when you are your authentic self, right? right? When he's being able to grow up as him, his true self. Absolutely, right? Because that, I think that was, and I think. Loki, the, the 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 series that that uh, just aired a couple of months ago, I think they did a really good examination of that, right? Mm-hmm. Of the the psychological damage that was done to Loki, because we didn't really hold Odin responsible for that, because what he did was really awful, at least on the the live action side, to take this child, to steal him from his family, you put a mad, you you put this magical spell on him, so he looked human, right? So Mm -hmm. that's why they didn't know that he was a frost giant, and he was living a lie. Yeah, he was living a lie, and I think I think of uh, parents, right? Like how parents sometimes can corrupt 
the relationships between siblings, right? Yeah. Sometimes there's a natural, there's a natural uh, sibling rivalry, right? But sometimes mm-hmm. parents contribute to that as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I thought it was quite lovely that in this, in this episode, we got to see Loki be his actual fully realized self. And he seemed yeah. happy. And because he was happy, he could have that relationship with Thor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now that you're kind of like talking through it a little bit, I think that maybe they touched, you know, they kind of hit the nail a lot more than I originally thought. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, because when I watched the Thor uh, live action series, uh, not Thor, sorry, the Loki series, and in episode one, I think we talked about it when we reviewed it, um, that part where, you know, he had escaped from the eight, from the TVA and then that's when he went back to that room and he was like replaying the real, right? Mm-hmm. And basically seeing, because remember that version of Loki was the one that had escaped from Endgame, right? So that right. was Loki from Avengers 2012. So he didn't get to experience the growth um, and the challenges in like Thor 2 and Ragnarok and Infinity War. He didn't he didn't have that. You know what right. I mean? So this was Thor who was still trying, you know, this was Loki who was still trying to take over the world. And then having to see the real of his life leading up to his death. Um, and I think Tom Hiddleston just did a beautiful job playing that role. I think that's when he really saw how monstrous or how horrible of a person that he was. Or like mm-hmm. how how his how his actions had serious consequences, right? Like the fact that his duplicity in Thor: Dark World had led to the death of his mother. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was just sort of like wow. And so like so with this episode of uh, What If, it was just sort of like maybe like this is a good message to parents: like leave your kids alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, like let them, let them be themselves. Yes, yeah, it's a beautiful message. But um, I mean, I I, I like the episode. I mean, did I love it? No. But like you said, to me, the highlight of that episode (laughs) was uh, because once uh, Thor is doing all this party and he's he's releasing these uh, uh, these uh, energy blasts right around the world or whatever. And so she'll gets involved and Maria Hill is now. Uh, in this episode, she's the acting director because um, Nick Fury had a bit of an accident. Yeah. <laughs> With Korg. Because of Korg. He was trying to do a cannonball. And mm-hmm. He threw, he threw uh, you know, Nick Fury up in the air and then he was, he was unconscious. So then Maria Hill was in charge. She calls in Darcy and... Uh, she calls in Darcy and Jane, Jane. For like some, yeah, for some assistance. And then that's when they realize that they need someone a little bit stronger to take this on. And so that's when um, uh, Rumlow, who was uh, uh, Frank Grillo's character, who would end up being Crossbones, but he's not Crossbones here. Um, they bring a, a suit, they bring a briefcase out, and it is the infamous pager for Captain Marvel. So Captain Marvel comes into the mix because now they're like, okay, she's the only one who could take on Thor. I got to tell you, Robert, those fight scenes between Thor and Captain Marvel were every fucking thing. I was like, I kind of want to see a live action version of that. It was so fun. (laughs) Like I said in the beginning, like it just felt like a a Dragon Ball Z episode. Just Mm -hmm. one of those long, like 15 minute fights that you see in in that series. Wow. And she, let me tell you something. She was not here for play. She was just like, yeah, you need to get the, you need to get out of here. You're just causing too much trouble. And I think you really, I mean, the first Captain Marvel movie, 
I mean, I think we got we we had an idea of how powerful Carol Danvers is, but I think in this episode, like she was just and and the the crazy part is we learned later is that she wasn't even at full force. Like she was holding herself back because as she yeah. explains to Maria Hill, she was like, I can't use the full extent of my powers because if I did, I'm gonna put a the size of a crater in this planet. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So she was just working at say like 50, 60 percent with Thor. I was terrified. I'm like, I don't want to see you at a hundred percent. Wow. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, because they go at it. They have a couple of rounds and everything. And the first round, Carol Denver let, lets him have it. She was like, all right. You know what I mean? Um, and then Maria Hill is like, well, what are we supposed to do? And she was just like, you know, I can't, I can't, you know. And that's when they come up with the idea to isolate Thorns so they won't cause any more collateral damage or, you know, human lives. They come up with the idea to take him. Is it Siberia? Right? Like somewhere. Yeah, yep. In the North Pole to, uh, you know, fight him out or whatever. So I have a question for you because when I was watching the episode, I mean, I know that these are alternate realities and everything, but still, I always feel like characters are sort of themselves. There's there's a core authenticity, whatever reality they're in. But I was kind of curious. I wanted to get your thoughts on the dynamics between Thor and Jane, right? Like mm-hmm. kind of comparing it in this episode versus the live action. Now, me personally, I did feel that mm, I was like, I don't know that Jane Foster would really be falling for Thor like that. Like, I don't know. I mean, Chris Hemsworth is gorgeous. I, everybody knows that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, this version of Thor, like this party boy Thor, I was like, would Jane really fall for this guy? I don't know. I, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts. Well, it's interesting you say that because I felt like this version of Jane is a lot more fun than the normal MCU version of Jane, too. So I feel like maybe she would kind of warm up to him because she seemed a little more on the, uh, I don't know, maybe she would have been like on the sorority side of things. <laughs> like She's like a straight-up professional in the MCU but she, she seems like she had some partying days in this version of Jane. I think so, too. That's, that's, interesting. <laughs> that's, a, that's a interesting. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, like in the live action one. Well, you and I kind of. Yeah, I don't care for that character. Yeah, like Natalie Portman. Like we all know that Natalie Portman is coming back for uh, Thor 4. Um, and she, I think the I, I think the plan is that she will be the new Thor. That Chris Hemsworth is going to sort of pass the mantle or the or Molnir to mm-hmm. her and everything. And I was just because you know there was the big uh announcement at Comic Con in 2019 when you know Taika uh, announced the new movie and he brought out Natalie Portman and everything. And I was like, eh. Yeah. Yeah me too just because like I never really have any I don't have any emotional attachment to that char- character. Maybe you know mm-hmm. maybe at, you know, her after her seeing all these, you know, how things have changed in the MCU since she last did stuff. Like maybe she comes back at it and reinvigorated, and that and that Jane Foster Thor is good. But I'm not excited so. to see it. Yeah, because the Thor one, I thought her character was flat. Mm-hmm. Um, Thor two, I thought her character was even flatter. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and let me be clear, I think Natalie Portman is a very fine actress. It's me not too. A critique. This isn't a critique of her acting ability, but it's, you know, there's been these kind of discussions really quick, like, 
actors who play comic book characters or who play superheroes, I do feel like you need to have a specific skill set. Like, it doesn't matter how evolved you are as an actor. Like, oh, I've done Shakespeare and I'm a classically trained actor. But, like, I feel like if you don't have a respect for what you're doing, like, if you don't feel comfortable in that world. Because the thing is, when you're playing superheroes or comic book characters, a lot of your work is against green screen. Right. Yeah. You're doing a lot of you're doing a lot of CGI work. So that requires a certain uh, imagination. Right. Mm -hmm. Where you have to look like you're literally fighting against a dummy. Right. There's nothing yeah. there. And so you but you have to make the audience believe that you're punching this alien with all your might. Right. So I feel like sometimes I, I think the good thing about the MCU as far as I think like 98% of their casting, I feel like the actors, and these are very accomplished actors, they have a respect for their characters. Like, um, I never feel like Sam Jackson is like looking down at Nick Fury. Like he plays it with conviction. You understand what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, I think the thing with Natalie Portman is, I feel like she plays Jane Foster like she would play a character in a normal movie. And I feel like you yes. gotta have like, uh, like a, fun side to yourself and, and kind of like be a little extra to be in a comic book movie look at Kate mm -hmm. Blanchett mm -hmm. like she owned that character she knew exactly she she had the right amount of camp yeah right? and, and the right amount of drama and, and pathos and then she like it, 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 you're that's an excellent example. Exactly. And I feel like they're the, they're the same kind of actresses, you know, they're, they're normally in dramas and stuff like that. But Kate Blanchett, you could tell she was really having fun with it. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so that's interesting because, of course, the, I think now I see what you're saying, at least as far as this episode in episode seven, this Jane Foster is more fun. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe the act, maybe the writers of that episode were trying to subvert that. Like in the fact that maybe. she was, was kind of dour and they were just like, well, let's make her more fun. And you the interesting I mean? thing is since okay. she's actually voicing it, she got mm -hmm. it. She has it in her. She does. See, so I do, I do feel that it's, it's the, it was the writing and maybe the way that they didn't know how to use her. So, I'm going to be a little bit more hopeful for Thor 4 because... Yeah, Taika, I might be now too. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Taika Watiti. I don't think you can come on set with Taika and just be like serious with like a... I think that will help too. I think that will help too because he's. I think he's just going to bring it out. I think so too. Yeah. Cause, and, and I think the thing that I love about Taika is that he has a respect for women characters. I, I his The introduction of... Um, Tessa Thompson as Valerie. Mm. Like, I'll be honest with you, I did not miss Jane Foster at all. In, in me, me neither. <laughs> and listen, you, you and I were both online, and you saw how these white women were in their feelings. Facts are facts. I mean, I thought that for Tessa to come in, this new character that we that had no connection to anybody in the previous, uh, you know, MCU movies, and she just came out the gate guns blazing like you immediately loved Valkyrie like and you can she tell she was it. having fun with it she was I remember reading in an article she said that uh she kind of played uh Valkyrie as a Han Solo like, yeah. a, sort of, like a swashbuckling yeah. sort of and you could see that yeah I agree with you I agree with yeah you. she yeah, had yeah, swag yeah. she definitely had she that did. swag she did she did so to basically wrap things up, uh, so Thor basically goes on a party rampage. Uh, they call Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel 
is like, all right, we got to shut this down. So then she, she brings him to Siberia in a very, you know, isolated location to try to get him to stop. And meanwhile, Jane, <laughs> Darcy comes up with the idea. She was like, well, I mean, when you watch these teenage parties, when you watch these teenage movies where the, you know, where the kids throw a party, what happens? You call the parents, right? And then the, the parents shut it down. And so Jane is like, oh my God, that's a perfect idea. So she goes, uh, she calls out Heimdall. She puts out a signal to try to get Heimdall's attention. Heimdall brings her through the Bifrost. And then he bas- I guess she basically tells him what happens. And then he sends her to Frigga, where she's busy chilling with her sisters having Chardonnay. <laughs> and then they're like, <laughs> and so basically she- they call Floor's mommy on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love it. I love it. <laughs> he was like, my mom's coming. <laughs> So she has an astral projection of herself. And she was like, Thor, what are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm studying. And she was like, okay, well, I'm on my way. Because I think he was trying to play like he was still on Asgard. But clearly he wasn't. And so he was like, oh, no, I'm at Midgard. Yeah, Earth. I'm on Earth. I'm, I'm in a cultural exchange program or some shit. And so basically he realizes that he has to clean up his room, so to speak. Captain Marvel was like, I, I love what she said. She was like, start at the corners and, and, and work your way outward. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, but wait. This is the earth is, is is a circle. It's circular. There are no corners. <laughs> and so he basically begs, you know, his friends, you know, all everybody who was out there partying and kind of messing up, you know, all the different cities. He was like, I need your help. I need your help to it's very much like a frat party, one of yeah. those college frat parties. And they basically help him. So by the time Frigga comes, he's like in front of a board, you know, in front of a, a blackboard and stuff, just acting like the angelic son. And Captain Marvel, in the end, actually helps him out. She gives him a, 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 a tablet, and she was like, oh, I downloaded everything you needed to know about human histories, human civilization, plus I added some NPR, you know, podcasts and some PBS <laughs> specials and stuff. And, of course, Frigga isn't, isn't fooled at all, as mm-hmm. all mothers and stuff. She's and not so, lying the whole time. Yeah, she was like, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so, you know, whatever. All's good with Thor and his mom, and then he ends up uh, reconnecting with Jane and asks her out for a date. And the last scene is when we see this sort of portal open, and we see these robots come out, and the last shot is Vision as Ultron. I was screaming. I was like, what? Yeah, because the watcher, like, kind of winds it up, and he's like, yeah, and they lived happily ever, and he's like, what? <laughs> and then that portal opens and he's and and vision comes well actually like the ultron bots come out and then we see yeah you know vision the vision yeah. ultron right so I, i'll tell you what i didn't know that they were going to i didn't know this was going to be like a to be continued that continued to episode eight i thought it was just sort of like oh that's another story for another day you know, and then the watcher would go on to another story. So I did not know that episode seven was going to be the lead up to this week's episode. Yeah, me um, neither. Not until I saw the title, and then I was like, "Oh, Lord have mercy!" So this week's episode is titled "Episode Eight is titled What If Ultron Won." Mm, mm, I'll, let, mm. I'll let you start, Robert, because I'm still getting my thoughts together for this episode. <laughs> It was a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, it was a lot. And we knew, like, it was going to start off, like, really hot because, like, mm-hmm. the Watcher's intro, he's like, oh, this timeline. He's like, oh, this one is just drastic, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, you can tell the Watcher, 
saw like this was like one of the worst timelines he's ever seen. So right. like from the jump, you're going in like, oh, okay, here we go. And then mm-hmm. they basically start off start us off right off in a like a, a chase between uh the Ultron bots and uh Black Widow on a motorcycle. And mm-hmm. that whole entire chase scene is like it's pretty dope. I think it yeah. I, I timed it out to be about three minutes long. It did? With, Oh, yeah, wow. Oh, wow. yeah, it felt like, uh, I think it was like three minutes and 15 seconds or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they're, these bots are, she's on a motorcycle, just like bots chasing her around the city. Then they kind of mm-hmm. cut to Hawkeye on a rooftop somewhere and he's mm-hmm. fired arrows at the bots chasing her and he destroys them. And then out of nowhere, another group of bots comes after her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They were aggressive. But you do want to know something something that occurred to me when I was watching um, that sequence, which was great, by the way. Um, What has been occurring to me has been these episodes that feature Black Widow. So, so far, we've we've seen Black Widow in episode three, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where else did we see her? And then, okay, she reappears in this episode. I feel like there's another one that she was in. Was she in the zombie episode or am I, am I? No, she's not no. in that one. Oh, that was the wasp. That was the wasp. Okay. That was the wasp. And that was, uh, uh, Sharon Carter. I'm sorry. Yes. You're right. 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 Yeah. So what's interesting to me is like in watching episode three and watching episode eight, I'm just like, yeah, really, really, really underestimated Scarlett Johansson's time as Black Widow. They like, really did. <laughs> And plus, I'm going to throw in the, the live-action Black Widow movie that came out this summer. I was like, listen, again, I know how we feel about Scarlett Johansson. I know she wants to play a tree. I understand. The, criti- the criticisms of Scarlett Johansson are valid. I'm not going to. But what I'm going to say is her contribution as Black Widow as MCU, you, you really can't sneeze at it. Like, you really no. can't dismiss it. Like, for the I mean, Winter the- Soldier alone, right? you can't sneeze at it, you know? Absolutely. She was she was a great character because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, aside from Peggy Carter, um, you know, Scarlett was holding it down. Mm-hmm. Black Widow was holding it down for the, you know, for the women characters until we got Gamora and then, you know, uh, the Dora Milaje until we had more women characters coming through the pipeline. Black Widow was it, which is a critique in itself. Right. We, we, you know, right. The, that's what they call the Smurfette syndrome right where you have a group of either superheroes or whatever group a cast of people and there's only one lone female you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but you know ever since her you know introduction in iron man 2 and then you know moving into the avengers i mean black widow is a dope ass character like you can't how you may feel about scarlet okay fine but what i'm saying is that she's great um and i'll tell you what when i saw black widow it made me a little sad it made me a little misty watching those last scenes because you know what happens to her, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's just like, so I, I mean, unfortunately now, Johansson is embroiled in a lawsuit against Disney. Um, you can Google it and find out why. Um, so I don't think we're going to be getting, I, I'd be very surprised if Scarlett Johansson could come back, uh, will come back, although she could, right? Because with the in- introduction of the multiverse, now it does open up the chance for us to get a multiverse version of Natasha Romanoff. But I mean, do we need her back? I mean, I think Pew is fine, you know, as her I'm replacement. Done I'm done with you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. I mean, I love Black Widow, but I don't need her and and Florence Pugh's already there, you know? 
Right. I mean, I think. I mean, I love Florence Pugh. No, you're you're making a great point. I I, I love Florence Pugh. <laughs> um, her 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 uh, relationship with Natasha was quite fascinating, and she yeah. definitely she definitely provided a lot of comic relief. Not it was like her 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 humor is very snarky. So I'm actually yeah. very. I'm actually excited because I, I guess they're positioning her to be the new Black Widow. So I'm actually very, very interested to see what kind of uh, the contribution that Florence Pugh is going to make. Because what I liked about Black Widow, even though these were ha-ha-ha joke moments, there was sort of like this critique of how Black Widow had been sexualized. Yes. You know, like like how she, how Yelena would make fun of how Natasha would land, like with the superhero <laughs> landing. And she was like, oh, why, why would you do that? You know what I mean? She was like, that's gross. You know what I'm saying? So I actually like that. So I do think that this version of if Yelena does take on the mantle of Black Widow, she's not going to be doing that at all. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, she's it's going to be interesting be... because she's in mm-hmm. that, I'm pretty sure she's in the Hawkeye, which is up mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Disney Plus, so I'm interesting to see what they do with her during Hawkeye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it's all to say that I think that the black, at least Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, was dope, and just kind of seeing her and what if in these episodes just kind of reminded of reminded us of that. Like Black Widow's, she's a bad yeah. bitch. How <laughs> underappreci- yeah, how underappreciated she was in the MCU for the most yeah. part. Yeah, yeah, that Black movie should have come out years ago probably. it should have come out right after winter soldier I agree that's the you. time period it should have came out in right right because the time period is between civil war and infinity mm-hmm. war right yep. okay yeah they met yeah they dropped the ball on that they um, really do. Is, is it between civil war yes yeah, between civil war and infinity war yeah yeah um so anyway so yes yeah, so we basically see hawkeye and and uh scarlet i mean sorry uh black widow they are actually in russia um, we find out that in this episode, uh, there's a time, there's there's a difference, right? Like the shift in Ultron, uh, in uh, Age of Ultron. Remember when they had created that synthetic body that um, that Ultron wanted to use um, in the the what do they call it? The cradle. Yeah, the cradle. Yep. The cradle, and <laughs> then of course the Avengers stole it, right, <laughs> from Ultron, and that's how they created Vision. Right. So Vision is a is a more moral, good character. But in this iteration, in episode eight, Ultron actually got the body and then he went into uh, he transferred his consciousness into the new uh, organic synthetic body and starts to wreak havoc with the Mind Stone. And he's just everybody else. And he's got this murder, death robot army. Um, And so at the time that we start the episode, unfortunately, he uh, dispatches these nukes that basically blow up the world. I was like, this is a bleak ass episode. I was like, this is, we're not even 10 minutes in and this is the episode. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about the, the you know, everything you just recapped is Black mm-hmm. Black Widow was part of the people that got the cradle in South right. Korea. Right. Because she's part of, she's on that motorcycle in that scene where they're stealing the cradle back. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely, so I feel like this episode is definitely like uh there's definitely shades of Age of Ultron, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else would we say? Uh, I guess we can go into Infinity War, right? Yeah. 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 I guess a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, and, 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 and a little yeah. bit of Guardians of the Galaxy One. 
you know, once Ultron starts leaving the planet and destroying stuff? Yes. Yes. Ooh, yeah. That was he goes with Xandar. Yeah, we get to go to, like, all these uh, planets in the galaxy within mm-hmm. the MC, within the Marvel Universe. So, um, so yeah, so while, uh, so we understand that, uh, Nata- that that Black Widow and Hawkeye are in Russia because they're trying to find uh, a way to stop Ultron, right? right. Um, and then meanwhile, we see Ultron, of course, uh, is all power is is very powerful. And then <laughs> we see, oh my god! Hmm. And then we we see Thanos show up, right? So much like Infinity War, and he's got the Infinity Gauntlet. He's got at least he's got the five others. I guess he has shown up to try to get the sixth one from the Mind Stone from from Vision. But this yep. ain't Infinity War. This is not, they make this very clear in the movie because we know in Infinity War, Thanos kills, uh, you know, uh, he, he kills Vision in order to get the stone. In this one, Thanos isn't even like five seconds into our world. And then uh, Ultron just looks at him or Ultron Vision looks at him. And he was like, he looks at the gauntlet. He was like, oh, those are pretty jewels. And then he just takes a beam and he just splits Thanos in half. Yo, Robert, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't even have a chance to speak. And that's the thing. That's the thing. Like, Thanos likes talking. Thanos likes bragging about what he wants to do. I mean, we even got a taste of that in episode two. All he, even though he was good, all Mm -hmm. he wanted to do was talk about his plan. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But this episode, he didn't even get a chance to speak a single word because Vision like mm-hmm. looked at him, looked at the gauntlet, mm-hmm. and it seems like he calculated immediately what they were. Yeah. And yeah. just split them in half. Jesus, my friend said he filleted him like a sushi. Yeah. <laughs> a sushi. I, like, I, I know that some people are like, how did Vision kill him so fast? I was like, Thanos didn't have a chance to do anything. You know, he, was, he can't he read really... his mind because Thanos has the Mind Stone. So exactly. he doesn't even have that power yet, you know? At all, at all. Like he just, whoop, and I was just like, wow. And then <laughs> uh, Ultron Vision takes the stones. And so now he is, so I'm going to call him Ultron Vision Thanos, right? So he's now, <laughs> the most power, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine because when they showed, when, um, when they were showing the promo or the poster for episode eight and they were showing Ultron Vision with, all the infinity stones, right? So he's got the mind stone in his head and the other five are like on a plate of armor on his chest. And I said this to my friend and I was just like, to my friends, I was like, that dude is way more powerful than Thanos. Even Thanos with all the infinity, I don't think he could, I mean, we already saw that. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, Thanos, yes. Was Thanos powerful with the infinity gauntlet or whatever? Yes. But for me, I think this Ultron Vision is way more dangerous and way more uh, lethal because not only does he have the stones, he's got the intelligence, right? Like, yeah, I was about to say, he's an AI that's constantly learning. Yes. And th- I mean, Thanos was powerful, sure. He was strategic, but he does he's not half it. Like, to me, he's, Thanos kind of reminds me of, like, I kind of explained to my friend, I was like, he's kind of like that overgrown kid in your in, in, in your elementary <laughs> school, who can't get past the fifth grade, but yeah. he bullies everybody. Like he just keeps beating everybody up. You know what I'm saying? It's like, aren't you 14 or or 15? What are you still doing here? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I always felt like, you know, Thanos was just a big old bully. But to me, Ultron Vision is way, 
way more dangerous. I think I'd rather deal with Thanos. I'll be honest with you. I would yeah. rather deal with Thanos, like in Infinity War, than that. Ultron Vision, no. Yeah, I mean, he's an AI, so he's calculating way more faster than, you know, a humanoid mind can calculate. He's constantly yeah. growing and learning. Like, that's the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. And, and let's think, and, and, like, and like, let's think about it. If we even look at the agendas, right? Like, th- for Thanos, his agenda was like, I'm just going to get rid of half of the world population, right? <laughs> that way. Vision Ultron wasn't even on that. He was like, fuck nah. everything. I'm destroying everything. He was on yeah. some annihilistic, I hate everybody and I'm going to shut everything down. And then he's like, this is all chaos. I need silence. And the yes. only way to silence everything is to destroy everything. Jesus. And so then we see this, the montage, like you said, where he's going to all these planets and galaxies and he's just decimating them. Y'all, I was sitting there like, well, you said this. You were like, uh, how you know you were telling me this morning? You were like, "Yeah, I I remember how people keep saying that the MCU can't do dark; they can't go dark yeah. in their properties." And I was like, "This is bleak." Oh, <laughs> speaking of which, I wanted to address like I know there's a lot of people. At least I saw a lot of people on Twitter. They're like, "I wish James Spader would have been back." You know, whatever. I have no attachment to James Spader's voice in Ultron. <laughs> and whoever did this voice, this voice was so creepy. Yeah, like, I think that's what they was, wanted. Yeah, there was like no soul in it. You know, mm-hmm. it just felt mm-hmm. so creepy. It was perfect. Yeah. Now, it, it did occur to me, like, well, actually, the person I was thinking about was, um, uh, who's the actor who, who plays Vision? Um, oh, yeah. Um, Paul that. Bettany. Yeah, Paul Bettany. I thought maybe they were going to go with either Paul Bettany or James Spader because we had only seen the promos. We didn't hear his voice. But mm-hmm. I agree with you. His voice was just so devoid of any humanity. Oh, it really um, and was. I, and I think, because even, even as Ultron, now Ultron was a piece of shit, but James Spader infused it with a certain charisma, yep. right? And a, and a certain personality, which I thought played off perfectly against rdj which played off perfectly against robert downey jr mm-hmm. but i'm showing we're showing our age right now but you know <laughs> the, the age of the brat pack right remember the exactly. age of 80s hollywood remember robert downey jr and james spader were sort of like contemporaries right they yep. were they were like those hot rising stars so i actually thought it was excellent casting to get james spader to voice ultron and <laughs> he did a great job so i think they didn't want that. I think they didn't want, and, and Paul Bettany, uh, the way he voices Ultron, the way he voices Vision, it's this very sympathetic and warm. He, mm-hmm. To me, he's more human than more than most humans that he encounters, right? So right. I don't. So I, I guess their reasoning was like, no, we don't, we want to stay away from that totally. They you know did a I good mean? job because this oh, voice my God. was like it's, it was perfect. Like it was really disturbing. I guess. Yeah, how I'm trying to see. Who the actor was that voiced Ultron? Yeah, I'm gonna look like, that up. Oh, Ross Marcon. I think I know him. He did a great hmm. job. I was he did a like, really great job. Yeah, it was just so his voice was just so flat and just so cold and so yeah. This is not this was not the MCU Ultron at all. Um, not at all. Yeah, yeah. So then we find out that so we we go back to uh, Russia and basically Natasha comes up with this idea because she was like, well, since Ultron is digital, we need something, we need a program that's more 
analog to take him down. And that's where Zola comes into the thing. <laughs> so then, so we get Shades of Winter Soldier in here, right? And if you remember, yeah. Zola was a former, uh, was a was a former Hydra scientist that we were first introduced to in First Avenger, right? Was it First mm-hmm. Avenger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was First Avenger. Uh, yeah, and so he was, um, and then we were re- reintroduced to him in Winter Soldier. Uh, he had died in the seventies or eighties, and but not before downloading his consciousness into the supercomputer that was actually at the same military base where Steve Rogers had trained. And we find out that with the creation of S.H.I.E.L.D., Hydra had been growing within it, right? Because we find out, because we know that with the creation of S.H.I.E.L.D., they had actually, sadly and erroneously, recruited former Hydra scientists, right? Which was pretty much a, a... a reflection of what happened here in America, right? How after World War II, we had uh, recruited certain former SS Nazi scientists to help us in our space program. So a little bit of history there. So yeah, so they basically find Zola and they, um, uh, Natasha basically feels that since Zola is more of an analog program and highly intelligent, if they could, you know, kind of plug him into the Ultron Hive mind, he could shut down Ultron. That doesn't happen. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> and it's this great they tried action it. Se- Yeah, it was this great action sequence. So basically they download uh, uh Clint or Hawkeye has a you know, one of his uh one of his arrows is sort of like a what do you call it? A computer chip or I don't know. Yeah, like a, it's got some uh, kind of a drive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. A USB drive, so to speak. And so uh, Zola uh, downloads his consciousness into that and then uh Hawkeye takes that same uh, arrow and shoots it into one of the robots because remember all the robots are part of the Ultron Hive mind and so they feel they think that they can shut it down but it doesn't happen um, and then it's just this great action sequence where that sequence is amazing yeah because that that's the same because that was the same place from Civil War where they had kept the secret super soldiers and that was the same place where there was that huge uh, uh, showdown between Steve. That's right, at the right. end of uh, Civil yeah. War. Yeah, Steve, Iron Man, and uh, Bucky, uh, uh, Bucky, Winter Soldier. Yeah, Winter Soldier. And, so, and by the way, I forgot to mention this. Uh, in uh, Ultron Vision's quest for power, he fucking killed the Avengers. Mm. I forgot to mention that, right? Because we, <laughs> we see a scene where he's at Avengers Towers, and the camera goes by so quick. I, it was so quick, I didn't realize it. But you see the bodies of Captain America, uh, the, the Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, and Thor's hammer is there. Yeah, so he had, and so the only person who was survived was, was uh, Tony. And we realized that, because much like Ultron, all of this happened because of Tony's, you know, oh, we need to protect the earth, we need to protect the world, and that whole shit about you know, uh, covering the, the earth in a, in a thing of armor or something. And so it's just, thank you, Tony Stark, yet again. <laughs> things up. I tell you, the Stark, the Stark family, they're just, they're just the worst. They're the fucking worst. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, and so Ultron kills him. Ultron Vision kills Tony and uh, the rest of the Avengers and just decimates the Avengers Tower. So really the only Avengers left are Natasha and Clint. And so we get to this point where they're fighting and Clint falls, right? And then mm-hmm. Natasha is holding him. So this is very much a call, a recreation of Endgame, right? Remember when they were on Vormir and then they yep. were trying to fight, like who was going to sacrifice just, themselves? Just, 
just switched places. They switched places. And then it is Clint in this, in this version, Clint sacrifices himself to take out the rest of the droids while Natasha, uh, can we talk about that scene? Yeah, absolutely. That the very end of that scene where they pull out and it's just that splash shot of him shooting the arrow at the, the bots. It reminded me of, Mm -hmm. of Ragnarok when the Valkyries are fighting. Oh, that's when they use that Roto. I forgot the name yeah, of it. Yeah, it reminded me of that. Yes. It was and gorgeous. Then, it really was. So you see him free falling, and you're and it was it was a terrifying scene because you see Clint is falling, right? He's falling, mm-hmm. he's falling backwards, right? And then meanwhile, all well, the not backwards, yeah. bots are flying up at him. It's like he's he's like he's like throwing himself into hell because it's red. You know, all yeah. the red from their eyes and everything. It's like he's it's like a descent. It's almost like it almost is like a descent into hell, like a Dante. Like I feel that's exactly what it looked like. Right? Like those sort of biblical uh paintings, right? Where you see people descending into hell. I gotta tell you, that that was a great shot. That was such a beautiful shot. It was such it a really beautiful was. shot. It really was. And it it was really sad too when he explained why he sacrificed himself because earlier, like we said, they had dismatched dispatched the nukes and everything across the world. And so Clint knew that his family had died. Yeah. Um, and so it was just like, wow. Man said, I'm tired. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm tired of the fight. Yeah. yeah. And he was just like, you know, the, he didn't really feel like there was anything more to fight for. He was like, I can save Natasha and this Zola robot hybrid type. And he was just, I guess he was just like, I just want to be with my family. And it was really interesting because I remember in Endgame, when Endgame came out, there was a huge debate and there were quite a few articles that came out that critiqued the decision for Natasha to sacrifice herself, right? Mm-hmm. And some people felt like, well, y'all picked Natasha to sacrifice herself because she was single and she didn't have a family and she wasn't married and she didn't have no, you know, whatever. So, like, I, I guess people felt like the, the message was that single women are disposable, right? Mm-hmm. And I could kind of, I could kind of see that argument right and i did kind of feel that way i was like okay i can can see why we feel that way right like where it was more like because clint was married hawkeye was married and you know had kids and had a baby and it was just sort of this idea of like are are people who are married with children um are their lives more valuable than people who are single who are childless right Mm -hmm. okay but then i saw black widow Right. Mm-hmm. And once you watch the Black Widow movie and you understand that she did have a family while well, she she had two families, the first family that she had was the Avengers. Right. Once she decided to leave the KGB and, uh, you know, Nick Fury basically, you know, was like, I believe in you. I know there's good in you or whatever. So from what we understood up until Black Widow, we understood the Avengers to be her found family. But then Black Widow sort of opens it up where it's like, no, she had a family before the Avengers, right? So what it did is after I watched Black Widow and then I went back to thinking about Natasha sacrificing herself in Endgame, it recontextualized it for me. It wasn't about a woman who was childless or wasn't married and had babies. No, she was thinking about both. She was thinking about everybody, not only the Avengers, not only Clint. She didn't sacrifice herself for Clint. I think people are reading that scene incorrectly. If that's what you're thinking, I don't think that's the reading. I think it's more about, remember ever since we saw Natasha and she was introduced into MCU, remember how she said she she's trying to clean her ledger, right? Yeah. 
her whole story arc in the MCU was really about redemption for the things that she had done, right? So for me, her sacrificing herself was not about, oh, here's this single woman and she's not important. No, it was like, no, these are people that I need, that I love and I care about. And, and yeah. if my death can kind of bring this end, right, and bring them back, then that's what I'm going to um, so yeah, so Robert, what were your thoughts on sort of like that scene reversal with uh, Hawkeye sacrificing himself versus Natasha and just kind of like that whole controversy a few years ago where people felt that. Um, yeah, I, I kind of yeah. agree with uh, the just kind of like the way you just described it. Like I understood um, people feeling the way they did uh, about Natasha choosing to you know sacrifice her, herself and and thinking um it had to do with her being you know the single one with no family and mm-hmm. you know hawkeye wanting to go back with his family but in the beginning of endgame remember natasha talked about like this is her family you know mm-hmm. the the avengers were like her family so i i think i kind of always looked at it from that perspective like she was right this is really the only family or maybe the, not the only family, which we find out in Black Widow, but this mm-hmm. is like the family she's felt closest to in her entire life. And yes. she was sacrificing for them, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Like uh, we find out in Black Widow, of course, that pre- prior to them, she had another family, but I feel like the Avengers, she feels like is the found family she feels closest to altogether, mm-hmm. especially Steve. You know, mm-hmm. her and Steve have like that serious brother and sister connection. Right. Yeah. And then, oh, we need to talk about this really quickly. What I loved was Natasha, while they were looking for the files, right? When they were in that archives um, in the, in, in the, at the Kremlin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they found, and she found the shield. Was that, is that the Crimson Guard? Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. That's his shield. Yeah. Her, her oh, father's in quote shield. <laughs> yeah, and so so now she's sort of like a kind of Captain America stand-in, sort of like I thought that was really cool. I, the way too. she was using the shield, it was Me like, too. oh, this is how Black Widow would use the shield. Yeah. So again, which goes back to what you said, like we really see how important, how great the Black Widow character is, or whatever. So yeah. So all right, let's let's talk about what really needs to be talked about in this episode. It is. <laughs> is when <laughs> Ultron Vision goes on his, you know, campaign of destruction and terror. There's actually, I forget which planet he's on, uh, where Captain Marvel comes in and Vandar. tries to stop him. Oh, yeah. child, that fight was just, and you thought that Captain Marvel had the upper hand and he was like, oh, you're so cute. <laughs> you have <that> spirit. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's like, you put me exactly where I want to be, right at the yeah. core of this planet. Oh, I didn't even catch that. And then he blew it up. Mm-hmm. Her up. So we know that Captain Marvel is dead. So now he's standing on this piece of crater, floating in space, looking all morose, like, oh, you know, and then of course the watcher is doing his monologue where he's just sort of like, Well, now he's alone and you know, he's now that he's he's accomplished what he wanted, uh, you know, there's no one left and you know, what about his purpose? You know, usual watcher stuff. And then all of a sudden Ultron Vision is like, who said that? Who said yeah. that? And then he, he ends up looking right at the Watcher. And I was like, what? Oh, it, 
it's basically the same scene we got in the Dark Doctor Strange episode, except Strange yes. didn't actually see him. You know, he says, what? who was that? Yes. But he only hears the voice. He he doesn't actually see him. O-M-G. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then the Watcher is so shook that he kind of creates, like, a force field because, you know, he's watching behind all these. The multiverse is, like, where he's at is, like, think of it as, like, a kaleidoscope. Right, all these mirrors where you can look into the different multiverses, and then when he sees Ultron Vision looking at him, he creates like he, you know, creates this shield so he can hide from him. And even the Watcher's like, "Wait a minute, you know, I've I've yeah. been able to, to see all the other, you know, I've been able to see every reality, every, but this has never happened." And then Ultron just kind of is like, "Well, I'm gonna find you. Mm-hmm. I, I I can see you. I can I can feel you. I'm gonna find you." And then. You know, that's when he kind of runs over to where Natasha and Clint are. He he, he doesn't really help them. He's just sort of like, y'all need to find this analog, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, like that whole storyline between The Watcher and Ultron Vision was really great. And I mean, we had, as we've been doing these recaps of... Um, of of what if that's something that we picked out, we picked up on, right? Like from the second or third episode, how with each progressive episode we saw that the watcher was having a more pronounced uh a more pronounced presence right and like you said in the doctor strange one that was the first time that one of the characters actually was like oh is someone there you know Mm -hmm. what i mean but like you said i don't think uh strange even with all his power he hadn't reached the evolved consciousness that ultron vision had right so so he was he was like, I feel it, but I don't know. You know what I mean? It isn't until the Watcher reveals himself at the end of episode four, and then that's when they actually have that whatever. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it basically, so then Ultron Vision does find him, does find the Watcher, and it is this knockout, drag out. And I could have never predicted this, Robert. I, out of all the things that I thought could have happened in the first season of what if I would have never thought that we would have seen like the watcher getting his hands dirty, like it, actually like what? <laughs> it, it was like, uh, I was talking about the previous episode where Captain Marvel was citing Thor. It was like that fight on 20, you know, <laughs> instead of turned up to 11, it was turned up to 20. Oh my gosh. And he was just like, and then at one point while they were fighting, um, the Watcher puts on, like, this armor, right? (laughs) Like, the the Watcher just seemed, like, offended. You know what I mean? Like, how Mm. dare you, right? Which I'll talk, I wanted to talk to you about this because in in their interaction between the Watcher and Ultron Vision, Ultron Ultron Vision uh, says something to him of the effect. This is something he kind of says to him a few times where he was just like, all you did was watch, right? And, And he kind of, and then at one point, Ultron Vision kind of says, like, uh, it's kind of creepy, right? <laughs> so, so by, with that interaction with Ultron Vision, even we're looking at the Watcher a little bit different. Like, yeah, he's cool. He's like this cosmic being. And he's, but it's like, no, you're a peeping Tom, dude. Like, you're just busy looking at other people's... And Ultron makes a point. Ultron Vision makes a point. He was like, you saw these people suffering, right? All these... <laughs> and you didn't intercede and you didn't do anything. Yeah, and he's, he's like, like you have all this power and you didn't use it to help. <laughs> yes yes and so he was just like so definitely the 
watcher's got his own little issues, right? Like you're just mm-hmm. watching people kind of getting off on it a little bit. Like, hey, the end. Yep. <laughs> and now, you know, and so it, what was great about that battle when they were fighting each other, you could see him punching, like with every punch that Ultron threw at the watcher, they were shattering. They were going through different multiverses. That, that was, was amazing so- visual. Wow. Wow. And then when he finally punches him down, at one point is he's on a planet where we see Galactus is about to eat a planet. Remember that? <laughs> well, like, no, it wasn't Galactus, it was Ultron. It oh, looked very Galactus like, but it was yeah, it was basically oh. Ultron Vision eating the galaxy. Oh, that's what it was. Oh shit. Yeah. Galactus. Oh yeah, it was God. a very it very it looked like something Galactus would do, but it was Ultron. Yes. Oh. Which made it even more creepier. Like this dude is like he's his, he's like exponentially like getting pa- more powerful. So I'm gonna assume that if he did that, then he must have like in his in Ultron Vision's camp, uh, you know, his destruction campaign. He must have. Um, I'm guessing that he must have uh, taken out Galactus. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. And he probably did in our universe because he he comp- completely took over mm-hmm. our universe. So yeah. Wow. Okay. So then we finally see he punches through this reality where it's Times Square, right? Mm -hmm. It's Times Square, New York, and we see on one of the huge billboard screens. Oh my goodness! Steve Rogers is actually being, at least in this reality, Steve Rogers is being sworn in as president. Yeah. And I was like, I can't even enjoy that second because they keep fighting. You know what I'm saying? And. Finally, like he just beats yo, Ultron Vision beats the brakes off of the watcher, and then he, the watcher escapes. He opens up a portal, he escapes, and where does he go, Robert? <laughs> I was like, he oh my god. Escapes to that pocket dimension that the dark Doctor Strange basically imprisoned him himself in forever at the end of his universe. Yes, right? So and so now there's another role reversal, right? Because the end of episode four. The Watcher basically told Strange to kick rocks, right? Because yeah. Dr. Strange, <laughs> Strange had asked him. He was like, listen, you, you've got to save my universe. I know what I did was wrong because I, you know, because he was trying to save Christine and cause about the destruction of his world. And then the Watcher was like, F off. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He was just like, you had plenty of opportunities. People tried to tell you not to do it. And so he and so now we're looking at this this power dynamic reversal where now the Watcher is now coming to Dark Strange for help. I was and, like, wow. and Strange being Strange is like he. The Watcher is like, you want me to say it, don't you? And Strange is like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I want you to say I think, it. I think Strange <laughs> have been waiting for that for a while. Like that is the most strange thing ever. Like he could have been locked in there forever, but he's still gonna be petty. Very, very petty, and uh, yeah, so. So this goes to one of the theories that we had discussed a couple of episodes before, mm-hmm. where there was this fan theory that, um, you know, because remember, you and I had been catching on the Watcher having a more pr- a pronounced presence throughout the episodes. And so the fan theory is that, and I think now with episode eight, I absolutely, believe, I don't think it's a theory anymore. I think this is absolutely what's going to happen. Yeah, I think it has to be. Now, yeah, I think now with Ultron Vision, having control of the multiverse because now he's in the multiverse space he kicked 
the Watcher out. And so now we know that Ultron is planning to destroy all those multiverses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think the, the fan theory theory has been that the Watcher is going to create his own multiverse team of Avengers, right? So he's mm-hmm. going to get like the Captain Carter from episode one and the T'Challa Star-Lord from episode two. So all these other stories that we have seen is leading up to this, where he's going to have- This is going to be so fun. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Listen, I, like we've been seeing like these very like, Screen crush, screen rant. Like I don't know what, who the, who the heck runs these like, but just they were like, oh, uh, you know, I don't understand. What if what if it's terrible? There's no there's no plan. There's no. St-. And I was just like, all right. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I was like, clearly there's a plan. And I'm I like, like, are we doubting Marvel after you know the the end the Infinity War saga? Like we just went through twenty something plus movies over ten years. Is it, <laughs> you're still doubting them? Yeah, I think they. I think they thought that it was just going to be like this is just like a cute little Twilight Zone sort of anthology animated series with just random episodes, which are enjoyable. But just like, oh, there's no plan, and I'm like, I don't know Kevin Feige. You know, Kevin Feige always has a plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if this is what they're planning. I cannot. Yo, I don't even think we're we're ready for episode nine. I'm gonna keep it real with you. You know, the I, only thing that makes me sad. Yes. I feel like episode nine is still only going to be 30 minutes long. And I, and I, I just want more. <laughs> Listen, for if this is because episode nine is the season finale of, of season one. And then we get season two, which also has nine episodes. There is no freaking Ray Robert that they can tell this story in 35. You're going to have to give us give all me an hour. hour. Please give me an gonna, hour. Yeah, because number one, you're going to have to go and recruit. You're going to have to figure out who he's going to recruit. I think we have a pretty much good idea. Okay, so here's a question that I have to you. This is going to be an interesting lineup because if, they, if, if if the Watcher is going to take people from each previous episode to create his team, think about it. If he recruits T'Challa Star-Lord from episode two, right? Mm-hmm. And then let's say he recruits Killmonger's Black Panther from episode six. That's going to be real uncomfortable. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even think about that. That shit needs to happen. That shit needs to happen, Robert, because you're going to see, like, I'm just trying to see what that's going to be, what that's going to look like where Killmonger gets sucked into whatever reality, you know, (laughs) reality where they're kind of recruiting. And then he Mm -hmm. looks over and there's his cousin that he, not the actual cousin, but. That he thought he killed? Yes. Yeah, yes. you know what? You know what's mm-hmm. still making me sad though. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're saying, they have to give us an hour, but I feel like yeah. they might push it into season two. Like oh season two might be. <sighs> I don't know when season two is coming. Like, is that right. something they have in the bag and they're ready to release it? Oh uh, well, I mean, according to IMDb, because I, I that's where I get a lot of my information for. So they have the. Let's see. Uh, they have ep- 18 episodes listed, right? But there's so they- not... Yeah, okay. so here, here's the, here's the episode guy, right? So they've got season one has episodes nine, you know, one through nine listed. Uh, so you've got episode two, season two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's no information yet. So I'm assuming that they're working mm-hmm. on season mm-hmm. two right now. Okay. Um, or they're just not putting it out because yeah, right. I could easily see them like mm-hmm. 
introducing us to this yes. interdimensional team next mm-hmm. episode. And mm-hmm. then season two is them trying to fix stuff. It's trying to fix stuff. <laughs> yes, right? So it's kind of like, so it's sort of like Endgame on crack, right? Yeah, for sure. Because Endgame was about them going to time travel, to retrieve the stones, to defeat mm-hmm. Thanos or whatever. And so I'm going to guess, I'm trying to think what their strategy is going to be in season two to def- to defeat Ultron Thanos, uh, uh, Ultron Thanos. I'm guessing they're going to need their own Infinity Gauntlet, right? Because let, let's think about this. At this point, Ultron hasn't really touched the other multiverses yet, right? So right. I'm assuming in these other multiverses, there are Infinity Stones, so could well, that maybe could it... it's something different because mm-hmm. I mean we already know from the TSA that the Infinity Stones don't work in certain places. <laughs> I love how they he just opened his desk and he, the Infinity Stones were just sort of like paperweights. They didn't so, mean anything. Oh, so, like maybe they come up with another. Like yeah, like I, I feel like I can't. My head can't grasp where they're going to go with this right now. <laughs> we didn't see this one coming. That is for damn sure. My mm. friend did have a good, uh, my friend Jerry was bringing up a good question though, because like you said about the TVA and how the Infinity Stones are sort of like, don't mean anything. They don't have power, right? Mm-hmm. Where does Kang fit into this? Yeah, yeah. That's another interesting I think, question. I think that's going to be the surprise of the season finale. Really? Time. I think you're gonna get Jonathan Majors to to voice Kane. Oh snap! I think I'm just I'm just spitballing here because you don't introduce a character like Kane in Loki, who's disrupted the whole multiverse. Because remember, uh, when you think about it, what if and Loki are connected to each other, right? Yeah. yeah. Because the TVA is all about the sacred timeline, and now the sacred timeline has now been is now in danger, right? right? I would think that Kang would have to, or the TVA, like, they're going to have to make an appearance. Kang's going to have to make an appearance. Like, I'm assuming, like, these are the people that we might see in season two. I'm not ready for the next episode. I'm not ready. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> you know, I think it, you know what I think is going to happen in season two as well? You notice how, like, there were certain actors that didn't voice their actual characters. Like, you know, for instance, uh, you know, uh, Brie Larson didn't voice uh, Captain Marvel or whatever. I have a feeling that some of the characters that were voiced by other people, I think the actual actors might come back for season okay. two. Okay. Because I think maybe they were just like, ah, I don't do animation. I don't. And I think now that they see, they might see like the fan reaction to how great people, like how, how really good season one was. I think Brie Larson might come in. I think she might do the voiceover for season two. And this, this yeah, this this season has been so good. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. So I am really excited for the season finale. I don't <laughs> think I'm ready. I mean, I, I mean, I'm trying to see if I can get an advanced screener because I think I need to see it before everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I did. Like, I could have never imagined episode eight would have been that. Like after you know, just that ending with episode seven where you saw the whatever. I could have never imagined that this week was going to be so chaotic. Me either. Me either. Because <laughs> we were still in our feelings over episode four with Dark Strength. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my beer. We've got something worse for you. So yeah, so it's gonna be really interesting to see like this uh this uh multiverse team up that the watcher is gonna put together. That's gonna be really I'm excited. I'm really excited about this. And I'm gonna throw something at you. 
this is just <laughs> out there. Okay. This could actually be a really good, uh, what do you call it? A spring, a springboard. This would be like an actual great way to incorporate the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. Cause they're I in that agree. Multiverse. They're in that multiverse somewhere. You don't want Dr. Reed Richards on your team. Oh, hell yeah. You want him on your team. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so even if it's in the animated form, if you bought the X-Men in there, like that would be a force. Like that's a team. Like, Ultron Vision would have to be like you want to go like you want to have a team that has Wanda and fucking Jean Grey on it. Nah, you don't. You talk about short circuiting our brains. Like if yeah, that I'm, happens, I'm just saying that's what I would do. Because they're gonna be on fire. They're gonna be on fire. <laughs> like, you get like an all star team, and you're like, all right, you got that, and then of course you could bring in Deadpool. You know what I mean? Because Deadpool is part. Because all those Fox properties of the you know the Marvel characters, Disney now owns them. You know yeah. what I mean? And we, yeah. So it's like, I think within the animated world, you can totally bring them in because what it does is it doesn't, you can still have those characters without committing to the casting, right? Yeah, like you can exactly. Still, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know who's being cast as Dr. Reed Richards yet, but if you get an actor to voice and then you cast whoever it is, it still keeps the integrity of the character, in my yep. opinion. You I know agree. what I mean? Or, or if they end up casting Fantastic Four around the time that season two is coming around, you know what I mean? I, me personally, I would just cast like really good voice actors and just kind of keep the casting a secret. Me but too. I just think like, can you imagine seeing the Avengers and the and the X Men working together? Like, I, like that's the shit that I want to see. I want to see that. That's the that's the Marvel dream. That's I the dream that everybody's had, but we we couldn't do before now. Mm-hmm. You know. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then kind of seeing like Thor and Storm working together. Oh like my just, goodness. Uh, the, the possibilities. Yeah. I think with a team up like that, Ultron Vision is in for some trouble, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> oh man. Well, thank you so much, Robert. <laughs> thank you. Uh, we will be back next week to uh, review and do a deep dive into the season finale of episode nine of What If. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side.